today, uh, we uh, are continuing our sermon series. Jesus continued talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, today is perhaps one of the most crucial, critical, important sermons that I'm going to talk about because it's so critical to who we are as a church. But also, good news for some of you, it's going to be one of the more practical sermons. You know, I'm not the most practical person. I don't do the whole. So therefore, church, take your pen out and I'm going to give you five steps. I don't do that, right? Um, I, I preach the gospel and I allow Holy Spirit to speak to you to see how you would apply it. Well, today, it's a bit of a different turn because I'm going to actually get a little bit practical. And you'll see what I mean as we get towards the end. Today, I want to talk to you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and mission. Ministry of the Holy Spirit and mission. There is something foundational to what we believe at New Community that you will hear over and over and over again. And that is this. When God saves you, he doesn't just save you from something, but he saves you for something. When God saves you, he doesn't just save you from something. And yet I'm talking to those of us who grew up in church for whom the entirety of the Christian life was, I believe in Jesus so I can be saved from eternity in hell and wait till I go to heaven. That's an incomplete an inaccurate picture of the Christian life. He doesn't just save you from something. He saves you for something. That for is mission. Another way we say it in our church is this. When you're a disciple of Jesus, are you not, you're not just called radically in. But at the very same time, you're also called radically out. And they go together. You're called radically in. That is, you're not called to know God from afar. You're not called to know God sort of impersonally. You and I are called by Christ to know God intimately. He calls you in. He removes our guilt and shame. He heals us. We're called radically in. But at the very same time, and they go together, we're called radically out. We're sent out for mission. You're never called radically in. You're not called to be blessed. You're not called to be healed. Unless you're called to be blessed and healed. So you could be called out to bless others. And to be a source of healing to others. They go together every time. Abraham. Come in. Can you count the stars in the sky? Now go out. I want you to be a source of blessing to the nations. Moses. Come in. Come near to the burning bush. You've encountered me. Now go out and free my people. Isaiah, come in. Isaiah 6, let me touch your tongue. Let me cleanse you from guilt and shame. Now who will go for us? Go out. Come in. Go out. Radically in, radically out. Every single time. Why is it that someone who's called radically in then begins to live their lives radically out for mission for others? If God comes along and says, when you're having to be your own savior, to manufacture your own sense of significance, constantly trying so hard to get rid of that sense of inadequacy and striving to find identity and salvation others, it's understandable that you and I would be self-absorbed. 
and our own issues, our own needs, our own concerns. But God comes along and says, I've met you, though. I've healed you. I've removed your guilt and your shame. I've touched you. Now you can go out and begin to live for others. Now you can go out and begin to spend and pour out your life for others. You don't have to be self-absorbed about your own issues and your own needs anymore. Now we don't experience this healing to the full extent that we want to this side of heaven. But God says, I've touched you. I've healed you. Now go out. Come in. Go out. Come in, go out. You can't read the words of Jesus without seeing this on every page. John 17, 18. Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I sent them. And you need to know something. I spent some time with our co-leaders yesterday. When we planted this church 13 years ago, We dreamt of a church where people just understood this, that the church, I'm going to say this, the church doesn't exist for us. That's not New Testament. The church doesn't exist for, we are the church, you are the church, and we exist for the world. We go deeper into community so that we could go further out in mission. We don't just go deeper into community so that in our holy huddles we go, isn't this awesome? We go deeper into community so that as you're healed, as you're encouraged, as you're touched by the Spirit of God, you can then go out into the world. Our very identity is sent people. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you, in verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is huge in light of what we're talking about. And the significance of this is not lost on me. Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit right after he tells them that they're sent for mission, just as he was sent by God. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit after he reminds them, you have a mission. And to make this really explicit, Jesus, one of the last things he says before he goes up to heaven is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and pay attention to what comes next. And you will be my, what's the next word? Say it with me. Witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you need to know, ask anybody who was a part of this church from the get-go. This verse anchored us again and again and again to our very core identity who we were going to be a church. Listen, when we planted this church 13 years ago, we said we don't need another church in Chicago that exists for itself. There's thousands of them. This verse anchored us. This verse anchored us and reminded us of the following things. I'll put it up there. One, the mission that Jesus sends us out to is everywhere. Some of you are called out to Africa, to China, and that's awesome. But for the vast majority of us, our mission is next door. Our mission is down the street. Our mission is across the city. And yes, for some of us, it's across the Atlantic. 
Our mission is to our neighbors. Our mission is to our friends. Our mission is to our coworkers. And yes, for some of us, our mission is to the unreached people groups. Our mission is everywhere. I love what Haley said yesterday. She's one of our leaders. She said, every time I need to be reminded, Peter, that the reason why I am a teacher, I'm a, a teacher slash library brarian in a public school system is to be reminded that that's my mission field every day. And for 10 years, you've reminded me of that. I said, yes. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, therefore, go in Matthew 28 and make disciples of all nations. That word go literally is as you are going everywhere, everywhere. Second thing Wax 1-8 anchored us was this way, the mission that Jesus sends us to. We don't have a stinking chance without the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Thank you, Tim. We do not have, and I know half of us don't believe this. Half of us don't believe, I don't need the Holy Spirit. You act like you don't need the ministry and the mission that God sends us to. We do not have a chance. That's why Jesus tells disciples, wait, wait, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's an entire world that's waiting to hear the gospel. And Jesus says, wait. And they waited for 10 days. Why? Because filled with the Spirit, they would do more in one day than they would 10,000 lifetimes on their own. Whether the mission be next door, down the hallway, down the street, to your workplace, across the, across the ocean. Whether the mission be to our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. The mission is impossible apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You need to get this. I need to get this. The amazing news, of course, is the Holy Spirit is readily available for us who ask and appropriate. If you're a follower of Jesus... It doesn't even matter if you're part of our church. Patrick Jaime, if you are a follower of, by the way, this is the reason why people don't sit up front because I do this. If you are a follower of Jesus, the question is not, are you sent? The question is not, do you have a mission? The only question is where and to who? That's the only question. Where and to who? Do you know the answer to that? Has that hit you? Is that weighty on you? We are sent with the greatest message in the world. Can I get any? Hey, we are sent with the message of the gospel. And by the way, I'm going to put definition of the gospel. Because some of y'all just need to write this down. Memorize it. The gospel is good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. And when we believe and trust in Christ's work and record for our relationship with God, that kingdom power comes in us and begins to work in and through us. And we're sent by God to demonstrate and proclaim through words and actions, individually and, yes, corporately, that message as we go. Here's the third thing, though, that this Acts 1-8 verse anchored us in, and that is this, is that the Holy Spirit fills us, listen, for mission. The Holy Spirit fills us for mission. What do I mean? We're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit for the last four weeks. And the Holy Spirit's ministry is vast, and it's awesome. I mean, good Lord, we could spend an entire year talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
But what you can't help but notice, especially when you read the book of John and Acts and other parts of the New Testament, and you pay close attention, listen very carefully to the next two sentences. The people who are led by the Holy Spirit were most often led to spiritual encounters where the Holy Spirit filled and empowered them to be effective witnesses in those spiritual encounters. When you read the Bible, we're talking about being led by the Spirit. The people who were led by the Spirit were most often led to spiritual encounters where the Holy Spirit came and filled them and prepared them for those spiritual encounters to be effective witnesses. Every single time. And that's not surprising at all. Why? What is God about? What has God been about? Read your Bible from Genesis. You know what God is about? God is about, he's on a passionate pursuit to reconcile lost sinful humanity himself and reconcile all of creation. So anybody who is being led by the spirit of this God will be led to pursue those who don't know him and pursue the work of reconciliation. The Holy Spirit came on those. The manifestation of the Spirit came on those who were being led to spiritual encounters, those far from Him, and doing the work of the kingdom. Um, If you want to be filled by the Spirit and experience a greater measure of Him, you best be on mission. If you want to experience a palpable presence of God in your life, the Bible is clear. It's those who are on the front lines of being witnesses for Jesus. Can I just shed a mouth? The Holy Spirit is not given to us to make our lives easier. (laughs) Sorry for the bad news. The Holy Spirit, read your Bibles, is not given to us to make our lives easier. When you read the Bible, the life, the, the life of those who were empowered and led by the Spirit got a lot more complicated and a lot more complex. Those who were led by the Spirit didn't pursue an easier life. Matter of fact, let me just say this. As I evaluate my life, my life will be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to live my life as a witness for Jesus. I would face no rejection, no persecution, no opposition, no hostility, and my life will be really comfortable. The Holy Spirit was not given to make our lives easier. It's given to fill and to manifest to do his kingdom work. Is that good news? So listen, I I know for those that are like, oh man, that's not where I thought you were going. (laughs) I thought Holy Spirit's in my life, some peace, some joy, some ease. Sorry. But you know the thing is? Is that the life you really want? 
Some of you are like, no. That's not really, is the life you want. A life of ease, comfort, no sacrifice, no impact. Or is the life that you and I want a life that makes a significant difference with the five seconds we have on earth before our lives are done? And God says, I come and fill and manifest allow you to be witnesses for my kingdom work. The Holy Spirit is not given to make our lives easier. It's given to make our lives more effective. How does the Holy Spirit then empower us and fill us to be effective witnesses? Two ways, and then I'm going to sit down. One, and I'm going to be quick about this first point because we're going to come back around it in Galatians 5 when we talk about walking in accordance with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, enabling our lives to be a beautiful witness. And again, I'm going to be quick about this because we're going to come back in Galatians 5. Listen, nothing makes the kingdom of God more attractive to non-Christians than Christians whose lives are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Nothing makes the kingdom of God more attractive than the power of testimony of your life and my life that's characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. A life of love, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of patience, a life of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm going to say another sort of myth. The fruit of the Spirit is not given to us To make us good people. That's a nice byproduct. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in us so that our lives and its transformation could be an effective character witness to those around who don't know Jesus. So here's a question that I want to ask you and I want to ask me. Is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and our character such that Our lives, beautiful witness and testimony to those who don't know him. At your workplace. Or, okay, let me ask it this way. The Spirit of God is in us. Shouldn't our lives look different from someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them? In a profound sense, if the Holy Spirit is in us, shouldn't there be a certain extent in which, I'm going to put this again, our lives shouldn't make sense because it transcends the norm. Isn't there a profound sense in which the Holy Spirit is in us? The watching world, I look at us and go, that's kind of odd. Because they had to look at us and go, how is it that you have such peace? When the situation right now says to me, my life is just going to fall apart. How is it that our life, how is it that your life is such peace? And we get to say, I'll tell you why my life is such peace. Because the root source of my peace is not found in this world. How is it that you have such resilient joy in the face of suffering and circumstances that would derail someone from joy? Because we go, because the source of my joy is not my economy. It's not whether I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. 
It's not whether I have enough money in the bank. It's not, it had nothing to do with those things. You see, the source of my joy is found in something else, not of this world. How do you love like that? How can you be so radically generous with your life? And we say what? The source of my love is not found in this world. Isn't there a certain sense in which our lives, if the Holy Spirit is ought to look kind of odd to the watching world? Does it transcend the norm? Can I ask you something? Would your life look any different if the Holy Spirit was removed today? Or would it look exactly the same? <laughs> Some of y'all are like... You know, we liked it last two Sundays when we had like five-minute testimonies. I don't like this. When's the last time you and I, when's the last time you and I really looked at our lives, and I'm just talking to me. I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I looked at my life, and I go, you know, too much of my life makes sense. Why? Because bad economy, there goes my peace. <laughs> Chicago traffic. Goodbye, patience. An unexpected illness, there goes my joy. I'm telling you right now, my character is tied so much to my environment and my circumstances. And its root source is not the Spirit of God. What about you? What about you? Is your character environmentally sensitive? Is your character dictated by circumstances? Or is your character one that shines forth fruit, character fruit that the world just doesn't know what to do with? Real quick, and we're going to come back to this. Who brings this about? You? Can you and I produce fruit, church? Church, can you and I produce fruit on our own? If we just try hard enough, just a little bit more discipline. No, we can't. (laughs) We can't. We can't produce fruit. We can't produce fruit. It's not because there's something wrong with you, something wrong with me. We're not equipped to. John 15, 5, I'm divine. You're the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You and I are bearers and not a producer of fruit. We can't produce fruit on our own. If we could, there was no need for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit. Then the question becomes, so we do nothing? No, it is the task of abiding. It is the task of abiding. It is the discipline of abiding. It is the ministry of abiding. What is abiding? It is a concrete, tangible dependence and appropriation for the person of the Holy Spirit to do that thing in us that we are not able to do on our own. It's the daily, moment-by-moment, conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit to go, I can't produce patience, love, joy, peace, even if I tried. Spirit of God, I can't, but you can. So I'm depending on you. So I'm relying on you. 
I am fully surrendering to your enablement in me to that which I can't do on my own. God, I can't love my wife on my own. I, I don't have what it takes to love Jenny. I don't. I could try. I could just, I don't, God. So I acknowledge I can't. But you can. And I need you. God, I don't have what it takes to be patient with my kids. I don't. I don't. You know better than I do. I don't. But you can. And I need your enablement in me to that which I can't do on my own. God, I don't have the ability to love these people. I don't. I don't. Some of them get on my nerves for crying out loud. I can't. (gasps) But you can. And I need you every second, every moment of my life to enable me to love those I can't love on my own. (gasps) I can't, but you can. The normal Christian life. Are you getting it yet? Am I getting it yet? Second way the Holy Spirit empowers us, this is where I wanted to spend bulk of the time, rest of the time today, is this. The Holy Spirit that empowers the words on our lips, enabling our words to be powerful witnesses. Oh, I wrestle with this, you guys. I got to be honest, I wrestle with this. I wrestle with this sermon, and you'll see why. I wrestle with this portion. So when I talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that we can't do or would not naturally do on our own, this is way at the top. See, at some point, at some point, we will have to open our mouths and speak, especially if your life is a beautiful witness. At some point, somebody will come to you and go, come on, come on, come on. What makes you do? What, 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 why are you that way? At some point. At some point, we have to open our mouth and speak. Speak the word of the gospel. No one was more intimately acquainted with the Holy Spirit than the Apostle John, who had over 30 years of experience with the Holy Spirit, who penned the book of John and the three letters. John led, preached, and evangelized in the power of the Holy Spirit for decades. You could assume that John knew the Holy Spirit. And listen to this verse. This is like a dynamite in my soul. John 3.34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit. Say the next two words with me. I don't want to do bad exegesis. That's a fancy, fancy terminology for explaining the Bible. I don't want to do that. This right here in John 3, he's talking about Jesus, right? But Jesus said throughout the book of John, and John does too, that as the Father sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So as the Father gives Jesus the Spirit without limit to speak the Word of God, the promise for us is that the Spirit is given without limit for us to speak the Word of God. I'm trying to wrap my brain and mind around what does that mean that the Spirit, God gives the Spirit. He doesn't ration out. He doesn't just portion out the Holy Spirit when it comes to boldly and lovingly proclaiming the Word of God. He gives without limit. And here's one thing I came up with. 
I realize when the Bible says he gives the spirit without limit to those who speak the word of God boldly. You need to understand, people who speak the word of God boldly to their non-Christian friends and to workers, they don't do it because they, it doesn't affect them when somebody persecutes them. They don't do it because it doesn't affect them when they're embarrassed. They do it because the Holy Spirit gives, uh, gives them power without limit, which I take it to mean that sometimes, literally, the Holy Spirit will override our personality. That is, I'm not extroverted. I'm introverted. And he will override our personal ability. I'm really good or really bad. And the Holy Spirit says, when I'm at work, those two things don't matter. So I can speak to anybody. Is this good news to anybody? Because as a pastor of this church for 13 years, more than anything else, the thing that I've encountered over and again from people is, I don't like to. It's uncomfortable to. It makes me uneasy. It makes me feel weird. I don't want to be the self-righteous one. All kinds of reasons, and I'm going to get back to this later, why people don't want to speak. They see things like, I'm just going to let my life speak. To which I go, if Jesus did that, we would not have the New Testament. At some point, we have to speak. And the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to speak for myself. As much as I am this up here, I'm that guy that goes, I, well, uh, 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 uh. when it comes to speaking the word of God boldly, especially to my non-Christian friends. Neither my personality, which by the way is introversion, nor my personal ability makes me an ideal candidate. I'm not good at this. And I desperately need the Holy Spirit. And this is the work that he does. And what's amazing is we find this right in the book of Acts after the coming of the Holy Spirit. The first ministry recorded in the book of, book of Acts is Peter standing in front of those he had hid just days earlier fearing for his life, preaching and sharing the good news about Jesus. Empowered by the Spirit, he shares the truth with love and boldness to thousands. And thousands give their lives to Jesus. Matter of fact, here's the thing that I've been astounded with. I've been studying the book of particularly Luke and Acts. And every time the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, regardless of personality type, this is what happened. You ready? Just going to go by real quickly. When the Spirit fills John the Baptist, he proclaims the coming of the Lord. When the Spirit fills Elizabeth, she proclaims a blessing over relative Mary. When the Spirit fills Zechariah, he prophesies about the coming glory of Jesus. When the Spirit fills the disciples of Pentecost, they declare the gospel in multiple languages. When the Spirit fills Peter, he preaches to the rulers that their only hope for, uh, for salvation is him. When the Spirit fills the disciples, they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. When the Spirit fills Paul, he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues and on and on and on. Pattern we see in Luke and Acts is when the Spirit of God is in the heart of someone, it produces the word of God in their tongue. Spirit of God in the heart produces the word of God on the tongue every time. So question, are you and I speaking the word of God? And if not, can we claim that we're filled with the Spirit? Um, Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) He doesn't mess around. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous British preachers that the world has ever known. It cannot be that there's high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. Okay, Charles, thank you. Do you believe that? Spirit of God in the heart produces the word of God in the tongue. Regardless of personality or personal ability, the spirit of God comes in somebody and they speak. They speak. And they speak. Encouragement, challenge, practical application. Encouragement, challenge, practical application. And then I'm done. Encouragement. You and I put way too much pressure on ourselves. You know why? Because you're all so smart. You're all so smart. You're like, until I know what the right answers, right, but, but that I don't. And you know what it is? You are taking upon yourself the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Whose job is it to convict and transform people's hearts? It's not you. Or it's not me. Whose job is it? It's the Holy Spirit for crying out loud. John 16, 8, when he, that's the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Whose job is it to convict? It's the Holy Spirit, so chill the heck out. Can I get an amen? It's not our job to go, I will convict thee, even if it's the last thing I do. It's not our job to convict anybody. Who moves the hearts? Who moves the conscience? Who enables them to understand? You, me, uh uh-uh. It's the Holy Spirit. Is that good news? So our job simply is to open our mouth and just share. If you and I truly believe this, we would never be self-righteous. If you and I believe this, we would never think we have to be the Bible answer man. If you and I knew this, we would never think unless I knew. The Bible says it's his job, not yours. What's your job? Speak. Here's another encouragement. You ready? The power is in the word itself, not you. Let me say it again. The power is in the word itself, not you. I'm talking to myself, by the way. The power is not if I just say it right and get the three points right, and if I could find that, 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 the power is in the word. Just speak it. This passage is just, for me, mind-boggling. Isaiah 55, 10. There's the rain and the snow come from from heaven, and do not return to without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will the word that is will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The power of the word lies in itself, not you, not me. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's clapping for that. Amen. I I hesitate on whether I should share this illustration because, you know, whenever preachers share illustration, they try and make this thing and like everybody could experience. I'm not saying everybody should or could experience this. I've used this illustration once in our church. I'm going to share it again. When I was a youth pastor of a small Korean church, I took a group of 12 kids to Mexico on a mission trip. And before we went, I taught them the four steps to share the gospel and did the whole thing and trained them. And there's a little kid named Paul. He was a seventh grader. 
Paul was a seventh grader, but he looked like he was like nine years old. So we did the typical, went out to this village, open air evangelism, you know, share the gospel, handed out tracts and said, if anybody's interested, please come on up and talk to us. And this old man, looked like he was in his 60s, walks up to me and Paul. Paul's standing right next to me. And through a chance, the old man says, I'd like to learn what it means to believe in Jesus. And I looked at Paul and I said, you ready? He's like, yeah. So Paul begins to, I put it in quotes, share the gospel. (laughs) Because the whole time I'm going, good Lord, he's butchering it. You know, the whole time I'm going, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Because he just ain't that, ain't that. Two minutes into it, Paul stops and he looks at the man. And he goes, do you want Jesus Come into your heart. And the old man, his eyes are watering. Okay? His eye, and he looks down at Paul. And I'm watching this whole thing going, what is happening here? <laughs> and the man right there on the spot gives his life to Jesus. To this seventh grade kid. If you had heard his presence, you'd be like, what in the world? Nobody would believe in Jesus after that. Hit me like a ton of bricks. The power is in the word of God itself, not how eloquent we are. Do you get that? Do you understand that? If you did, do you know how encouraged you and I would be? I mean, all the stress we put on ourselves to go, my friend is so smart, they're going to every argument and we'll get there a little bit simply share challenge 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 as i thought about challenge to doing this i realized that there are five excuses that i've heard over my 20 some years in ministry of why people don't do this and i'm going to go through them one here's the first excuse people and i've used all of them i've used all of them number one i'm not sure i have what it takes i mean i'm not sure my answer yes you do why who do you have inside of you you have the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, Google it, okay? Billy Graham said this, there's not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. You and I might have the speaking ability. We may not have the speaking ability of Billy Graham, but you've got something even better, the Spirit of God living inside of you. Jesus said that his Spirit have come upon us so that we would do, this is amazing, even greater works than John the Baptist. And Jesus said about John the Baptist, he is the greatest prophet who ever lived. And Jesus says, with the Spirit of God in you, you will do even greater things. Is that good news? You have what it takes. Secondly, I've heard this excuse. Evangelism is just my, my spiritual gift. It's true that God's given some people the gift to be evangelists. Here's my definition of spiritual gift. You ready? A spiritual gift is simply a specialization in an assignment that's given to everybody. Spiritual gift is a specialization in an assignment given to... What do I mean? Those who have the gift, spiritual gift of service, generosity, and faith are not the only ones who should serve and share their stuff and believe God. God gives some Christians extraordinary effectiveness for those assignments, but the responsibility lies in all of us. Amen? Evangelism. Yes, God has made some. I'm good, Lord. I have some pastor friends who are amazing evangelists. They come up, they preach a sermon, and they're like 50 people who are like, I need Jesus in my life. I get up, preach a sermon. There's like crickets, crickets, crickets. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with 
There are some people with extraordinary gift for evangelism. But God says it is a responsibility of all. Third excuse. I love this one. I just witnessed with my life. Oh, where do I even begin with this? Where do I even begin? First of all, who says it has to be either or? Why do we always go there? Because every time someone says this, they immediately go, I don't want to be the self-righteous, talk about my name, hypocrite, and I just say, I'm going, let's do both, amen? Why can't we live it and speak it? I just witnessed with my life. Basically what they say is, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about my faith. I just try to live it out so that people will see God in me. Here's the New Testament's We're called to live out our faith, listen, as a demonstration of our message, not as a replacement of our message. Say it again. We are called to live our lives beautifully as a demonstration of the kingdom and not as a replacement of it. We are called to live out the gospel in concert with proclaiming it, not as a replacement for it. The gospel at its core, church family, is an announcement. It's news. The gospel is an announcement. It's news about what Jesus has done to save people, not a presentation of what a good person we are. The gospel is news. And sharing that news requires words. Because you can't explain what Jesus did through charades. You can't. News, announcement, proclamation. News, announcement. It's just like watching the news. If I'm watching the news and I turn the volume off, the newscaster might be really excited about something. But if there's danger coming my way, I'd like to know what it is. News, announcement. Fourth, I don't have time. I don't have time. Jesus is probably the most busy person on the face of the earth. Would you say that? He was probably the busiest person, but he had time. Why? Because he went about doing normal life. I'm going to introduce a word here with gospel intentionality. Normal life with gospel intentionality. Meaning he didn't carve out extra time to share the gospel. As he went about everyday life, he did it with gospel intentionality. Let me give you an example. I have a, past, a pastor, a pastor shares this story was talking to a mom, a mom with three kids. One of them was really good at soccer. And she was at soccer practice four or five days a week. And she couldn't attend these church outreach meetings. And so she was feeling really guilty. And the pastor said to the mom, have you ever thought about those soccer practices as your ministry? Have you ever thought about those two, three hours you're with those moms and dads and coaches three, four days out of the week, that that's your ministry, that that is where you live out the gospel, and when opportunities arise, share the gospel. Do it with gospel intentionality. What about you? As you go about your everyday life, are you doing with gospel intentionality, looking at opportunities, or do you go, I'm way too busy, I've got what? Well, what about at work? What about when you're hanging out with your friends? What about when you're, what about doing your everyday normal life? Looking at it through the eyes, gospel intentionality. And lastly, um, talking to other people about Jesus makes me feel weird. Well, of course it does. (laughs) 
And again, I just want to say, if there's like a handful of you guys that are like, Peter, this sermon is totally irrelevant for me because when I talk about people with Jesus, talk about Jesus with people, my life just, I'm just talking to the rest of us. And I say it's weird because the gospel says that even though we're more wicked and more sinful than we dared believe. In other words, the gospel is a message of judgment and sin. The gospel also says, though, at the same time, we are more loved and more accepted than we dared hope at the same time. It's a message of sin and judgment, but message too good to be true. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of weirdness in for sharing it. But can I just say this? Isn't the gospel worth a little bit of the weirdness? Isn't the gospel worth a little bit of the social awkwardness? Matter of fact, I'm going to push this a little bit. I would say that not sharing the gospel is unloving. It's unloving. I can love other people through my actions all I want, but at some point, it's here's the reason why. If I have the cure for cancer, and my attitude is I've got it, and my friends and family need it, I'm going to share it so they can be healed. But anybody else that have family and friends, I'm not going to share it. That's unloving. It's unloving. It is unloving to go. I know that Jesus wasn't just some prophet who came and gave some teaching, but he was the son of God who lived, died, rose again, rules on high, and will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. I know that truth, but I'm not going to tell anybody. That's unloving. It's unloving. It's unloving. It's unloving. It's unloving to not share. It's unloving to not share. Almost done. If you're not a Christian and you've been sitting through this entire thing today, thank you. And I have two things to say to you real quick before I go on to the practical steps. If you're not a Christian, let me just gently nudge you and then encourage you. One. If you're not a Christian here today and you're going, you know, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus. Just don't try to convert anybody. It's okay for you to believe in Just don't try to convert anybody. I want to I just gently say to you that when you say to a Christian, just believe in Jesus. Don't convert anybody. You're actually doing the very same thing you're telling that person not to do. We all have a belief system that governs how we live. Mine happens to be that Jesus is the risen son of God. He'll come back one day to rule and reign. That's my worldview. Your worldview? I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I thought he, he was a great teacher, philosopher. That's totally cool. That's your worldview. My worldview, Jesus, Son of God. So when you say, don't try to convert anybody, we're all converting somebody at some point. Our worldview of life. The real question is how we do it, isn't it? Isn't that the question? It's how we do it. Because many of us are like, don't shove down. So let me say this. Evangelism, somebody said, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So can I say this if you're not a Christian today? If you ever meet a Christian who thinks they're better than you, they don't know Jesus or the gospel. Please listen. If you meet a Christian who says, I'm better, I think better, I'm better than you. Because you know why? Fundamentally, for those of us who are Christian and believe in Jesus, we believe that we're saved by grace, not by how good we are. You know what that means? That means we are not any better than you. We will, we're not. We're not. We're saved by grace, not our goodness. So there is absolutely zero self-righteousness in a Christian who understands the gospel because when I look at you, I'm not any better than you. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. If you're a Christian, I mean, 
practically lay this out and we're done. Wolf quick. Somebody once said, Peter, evangelism is such a pain in the butt to me. So I said, okay, let's go with that. Let's talk about the pains of evangelism. Here's the five pains. One, pray. Pray. Since evangelism is God's work, Joyce, you can come on up. Begin by praying, praying for open doors and praying for opportunities. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys, when you're walking about through the day, listen, how many of you, when you're walking about through the day, all of a sudden, you'll get some thought or prompting and God will put somebody on your mind to pray for? Anybody? Happen to anybody? That's the Holy Spirit. So when God, the Holy Spirit, places someone on your heart, that's God moving your heart, pray for that. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Just right there and then, lift up a prayer. And say, God, open up their eyes to see the truth and beauty of Jesus and what he's done. Pray. Secondly, be available. As you pray, tell God that you're open and willing and yielded to be used by him in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes God will literally come and go, hey, 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 that friend that's going through a hard time. When's the last time you actually told them who Jesus is and why you believe? What about your neighbor? What about your coworker? Sometimes it's that mom or dad at the park. Sometimes this happened to me waiting at the L stop. Really? Really? And God puts something on your heart because you've made yourself available. I believe that the Holy Spirit will lead and direct and guide. After you pray, make yourself available and say, God, I'm open to talking, being open to sharing, being open to being a witness. Please speak to me. Third, invite them. What do I mean? Invite people to gatherings where they'll hear the good news. You and I may feel insecure about our ability right now to share the gospel. One of the best things you can do is to say, I know places in which people will for sure hear the good news of Jesus. Sunday services, small groups, or other outreach events, or just when you're around your other Christian friends, invite them where they'll be able to hear the good news and hear the gospel. Take advantage of those opportunities. Fourth, be a neighbor. What do I mean? It's what we talked about at the first point. Love them, serve them, care for them in word and deed. Pray for them in small and big ways. Be the best neighbor that you can be so that God would open doors for you to be able to share. And lastly, share. When God opens doors, walk through it. When God opens doors and boldness courage, walk through it. Some of you guys, even as I'm talking about this, God is putting people in your mind and your heart already like, oh, man, because of this reason, this reason, this reason, I, I just, just didn't do it. Today, maybe God might be saying to you, you don't have to be the Bible answer man. You don't Listen, if you don't know, somebody says, what about if you don't know? Say you don't know. It builds trust. Be humble. But as I always say, at some point, tell that person, I'll find out for you. Come back and share. Pray. Be available. Fight. Be a neighbor. And when God opens doors, share when I was in college and I was being called to ministry in Africa, this verse was lodged in my soul. It has sort of become my life verse that tells you a little bit about why I do what I do the way I do it. It comes right out of the mouth of Paul. It's right here, Acts 22. 
And now compelled or led by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I mean, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. When's the last time you lived beautiful, beautiful kingdom, attractional life that gave you an opportunity to speak, share the word of God? Brothers and sisters, church family, when's the last time following the leading and prompting of your heart you spoke? Some of us have family members that don't know Jesus, and it's been months, maybe years, and we've just taken for granted. And maybe we just gave up and discouraged people. Some of us, it's that co-worker or co-workers that you're going to see tomorrow when you go to work. Maybe you're intimidated. Maybe you just thought, they, they will never believe. They, or maybe you're just afraid. I don't know. But it's been literally months, maybe years since you've opened your mouth and shared. Moms, what about those moms that you see on a daily, weekly basis? College students, what about your dorm mates? What about your classmates? Maybe some of your parents and your parents. What about your children? That son or daughter of yours that doesn't know Jesus yet. Who is it that God has been over the course of your life? putting on your heart. I want to I want to gift you just some space and time this morning. You can just slow down and as you hear the Holy Spirit of God do the first thing that you know to do which is to pray. Perhaps even make yourself available. Yeah, I'm asking you to pray for him, pray for her, pray for them that you've wondered about. And as you pray for the vast majority of us, you know exactly where you're going to be tomorrow morning, come eight, for the rest of the week. How about simply praying and making yourself available to his leading? How about simply praying and making yourself available in whatever way that the Spirit of God fits to lead you, whatever spiritual encounter? Make yourself totally available to him. Watch him use you. God, you know these names that we're lifting up to you in our hearts. They are our moms, our dads. They're our sons, our daughters. 
They are our friends, our co-workers. They are men and women and children that you lived and died and rose again for. And God, for anybody here, anybody here like me, perhaps who've just forgotten or been lazy or perhaps even hard-hearted in praying and being available for witness to those who are lost without you, that you would once again soften our hearts, that you would increase our faith, that you would burden our hearts, God. That you would enable our hearts by the very testimony of Paul, that we too will be compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what may happen, but that we would consider our lives worth nothing to us but that we would live to testify to the good news via our lives and our words of Jesus Christ. And that as your spirit leads and guides and fills us this week, that with boldness and radical, absolute love, when opportunities arise, that we would speak forth the good news, the greatest news that this world has ever heard. May it be so. We give our tithes and our offering to that end. Use this God to further Advance your kingdom, further advance your agenda, your purposes of reconciling sinful humanity and all of creation to you. Father, may our church, not just corporately, but also individually, be this week tomorrow, source of light in a dark world and source of salt in a world decaying and fraying because of sin evil and injustice. Make our lives count for the sake of the gospel. Hear us, we pray. Receive our offering and our gifts, we pray.